I'm going to start off with a little candor for the evening. I have to tell, right? Thank you. <laughs> Truth is underrated, isn't it? Um, I have to tell you, when I started working on this lesson, this was a pretty tough lesson for me to prepare for. I was up one night when I was working on this study because I was, I was tossing and turning thinking about Peter and thinking about this story when Jesus healed the man who was lowered down from the roof. And, and honestly, here's the thing. I tried to put myself in Peter's shoes. I tried to consider what his perspective was now that he had decided to follow Jesus and, and what that was like and, and that they were going from town to town, that they left Capernaum and went to another town and, and Peter watched Jesus heal and he watched Jesus preach and he watched Jesus pray and, and then they would go to another town and he would have to go find Jesus. Jesus, everybody's looking for you and Jesus would heal and Jesus would preach and Peter would watch and, and then they went to Peter's own house where Peter just had to stand there and take someone putting a hole in his roof. And I wonder if Peter knew or he started wondering what he just got himself into following this Jesus guy. And you see, last week we talked about um, when, when Jesus called Peter to go out into the water to fish in the middle of the water in the middle of the day against all the training that Peter had known. And we know that Peter caught what some people would call an ungodly amount of fish, but we know it was a godly amount of fish, right? And... Um, and as we go on in this story, Peter is um, so involved. He is walking on water. He's cutting off people's ears. But in, in this lesson, there, there just wasn't a lot going on for him. And so I found myself a little frustrated for Peter in this lesson. You know, he had this zeal and this passion. He had a commitment to follow Jesus. And Jesus doesn't ask him to preach. Jesus doesn't ask him to heal or anything. And I wonder if Peter started feeling like, like he was being held back or maybe a little frustrated. Have you ever felt like God was holding you back from something? I, I have, <laughs> I will tell you. Um, years ago, God called me to go to seminary. And so I did. I sacrificed the time and money and I went to seminary. I left my finance job. That was my undergrad training. And, and I went and I completed my degree and I went to work for a nonprofit in finance. And then I went to um, another nonprofit that was planning churches and all over the world in third world countries. And I worked in finance. And then I left there and I went to a large $3 billion corporation and it was incredible. And I loved my time there where I worked in finance. And I began to think, God, did you forget what you asked me to do? Did, do you remember when I spent all that money and sacrificed all that time and went to seminary and I'm still in finance? God, are you holding me back from something? When, when is it my turn? And so I got this lesson and I was processing out loud with Tiffany, um, like I do, sweet Tiffany listens to a lot of my problems. And um, I said, we're doing this study on Peter, but what does this lesson have to really do with Peter? He doesn't do a lot. I mean, Jesus is doing all the flashy stuff. And I wonder if Peter ever felt like following Jesus was getting a, a little mundane or a little monotonous at times. You see, on one hand, Peter was seeing miracles over 
and over and over. And on the other hand, Peter was seeing miracles over and over and over. But that, that couldn't get boring, right? I mean, Peter was seeing Jesus heal right there in front of him. He was listening to Jesus usher in this incredible new way of thinking. He was seeing tangible signs of God all right in front of him. That could never get mundane, right? I know that surely none of us would let miracles get mundane, right? And so I started just thinking of some everyday things that happen in our lives. And so the first thing that came to my mind, which is the first thing that happens in a day, is the sunrise. And you know, the sun is, it is the swirling ball of gas, of chemicals that are causing a constant nuclear fusion reaction. And instead of this ball of gas consuming itself, it, it heats our solar system perfectly. And if the gravity between the sun and the earth changed just in the tiniest bit, that yellow dwarf star, tiny star, that yellow star would consume the earth if gravity changed, but it doesn't. The solar system orbits around it perfectly. The earth orbits around it perfectly. And we use this ball of nuclear fusion to keep time. That's just everyday stuff. You know, everyday stuff like we go to the doctor, people having kids, raising them. Except for my friend when um, she left the doctor um, after he told her, you'll never have children. Um, You and your husband, y'all aren't compatible. It's kind of crazy, but but they weren't. It wasn't working. Nothing was working. Told her that she would never get pregnant. She would never experience this, this tiny little pea of a, baby that that by the time it's a size of a pea it's already formed a brain stem in the first three weeks after conception but you know three kids later (laughs) with no help whatsoever just all natural we say oh that's just a fluke of the reproductive system those things happen all the time I'm sure you stopped stressing about it and it just happened right Or we say to someone, you know, that tumor just up and healed itself. Or what about that random deposit in your bank account? Maybe you've experienced healing from a messy divorce. Or a restored relationship that has been soured for years. See, these things happen every day. They happen so much every day that they almost get monotonous. But we'd never get bored of those things, do we? Like Peter? So speaking of bored, I am raising a four-year-old. And, um, I mean, hopefully she'll make it to five. But, um, I mean, I love her dearly. Um, Some of you have seen her parading on the stage after Bible study. It, It is her imagination that keeps us going, and she is incredible. However, she is four and she wants the same cereal and the same movie and the same bedtime story and the same jokes day after day. And you see, I have this rule that um, you can only tell a joke three times. It stops being funny after three times. 
she does not know that rule. And so after 35 times of telling the same joke, it is still so hilarious to her. And I am still so over it. It might be a little monotonous sometimes to hear the same thing over and over again. But I wonder if God feels that way about her stories. And so a wise pastor, I love how he described this vibrance. It's G.K. Chesterton. He said, because children have abounding vitality, that means they don't nap. Um, because they are in spirit, fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until she is nearly dead. I don't hear any amens out there. I know it's right there. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. Wow. Perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. Or perhaps it's not monotony. Perhaps it's majesty. You see, when we find ourselves in this monotonous routine, we find ourselves in the in-between of life. And now some of you came in here tonight just on top of a mount, on top of the mountain, free as a bird. And some of you may have come in here in the valley with heavy burdens on you. But you know, we don't live our lives in those two places. We don't always live on a mountaintop or in the valley. We spend almost all of our lives in the in-between, between those two places. Most of our lives are in the in-between, the, the monotonous teeth brushing, carpool, commuting, making the same three meals every single week, just waiting for a glimpse of Jesus to get you through the week. So what about you? What are you between? Are you between, um, you know, just the time you left the house and arrive at your destination, the, the time when you started working out until the time that your body actually shows that you've been working out? You ever think that might be what hell is like, that you just work out and work out and nothing changes? Yes, I knew y'all would be on board with that. The time we spend when we, um, between when we take medicine and when it actually starts working. When you receive the diagnosis and when you actually start the treatment. Between the time when you decide to adopt and that child actually comes home. Or between the time you were promised that promotion and then you actually got it. I sat with a friend last night who just a few years ago, she lost an infant a baby boy. And then she had a miscarriage right after that. And right now she's sitting between the time that she lost those two babies and the time that she will see them in heaven. She is between those places and between that can be very painful, monotonous time. 
And you see, we want to see change immediately. We want to see healing immediately because we live in this instant society. We don't want to stay in between. We want to see action and results, right? But, but we've been conditioned with 30-second commercials and that we can Google the age of a rhinoceros on our phone in three seconds. We live in this instant society and when we have to wait on things, it gets monotonous. And when it gets monotonous, we miss things. When it becomes monotonous, we miss Jesus's majesty. And so I was so frustrated for Peter in this lesson. Um, Maybe for myself in the waiting game a little bit. But I was so frustrated that I almost missed the miracles of what Jesus is doing here. And so I want to share those miracles with you. And I'm going to give you two ways that we can make sure we do not miss his majesty in the monotony. So we're going to jump to Mark 2, and I will just read this scripture to you. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Okay, so Jesus and his disciples are in Capernaum. Now, if we look back at chapter one in Mark, last time Jesus was in Capernaum, he was preaching at the synagogue and the people came and saw him at the synagogue. Now, this time that he's come back to Capernaum, he's not at the synagogue. The people did not wait for him to go to the synagogue before they sought him out. As soon as they heard he was in town, they went to him. They sought him out immediately. So how do we not miss Jesus's majesty? The first way is that followers of Jesus seek the presence of Jesus. Disciples, followers of Jesus, seek the presence of Jesus. You see, all of these people had come to Jesus for different reasons. Some came for healing. Some came just out of curiosity. Others came because they wanted to see him fail. But they all came with a different why. And regardless of why they came, once they were all in that space together, regardless of why they were there, Jesus preached the same message to all of them. The same word to every single person. And you see, we come to Jesus for different reasons. When I was six, I came to Jesus out of fear. I heard an evangelist talk about hellfire and damnation, and that sounded horrible, and I wanted no part of it, and it scared me like it would any six-year-old. And you know, we all come for different reasons. You know, some come for help with their marriage. Some come to Jesus for healing from a disease. Or maybe you came to Jesus because your parents did. Maybe because it's just a tough world out there. Maybe you haven't decided yet that you're ready to follow Jesus. But I'm glad you're here because we're going to talk about it, Jesus. You see, we can come to him for 
all kinds of different reasons. And that's okay because that is, that's our human nature. God made us in such a way that, that we would have longings, that it's normal for us to, to have needs and desires. And so we can come to Jesus for a whole variety of reasons, and that's okay. But if we stay in that place, if we stay following Jesus because we want something from him, if we follow Jesus because we just want his help, then help or healing has become our God, not Jesus. You see, you can come to Jesus for a need, but if you stay in that place, then you're missing Jesus. He says, Throughout this passage, he points and says, I have authority, I have divine authority, I am God. The Old Testament talked about me, those scriptures, I am the true king. Come to me for me, I am God. So do we want Jesus for who he is? Or do we want him for what he can do for us? Like Jody said last week, Jesus, this true king, he is worthy to be followed. Even if he is worthy to be followed. So why did you first come to Jesus? Do you remember? Is that still why you're following him? All right, let's keep going. We'll look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. So I want to stop here and tell you that this probably confused every person in that room. Because remember the men lowered him down and said, Jesus, heal our friend. And Jesus said, son, you can walk. No, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. And I can just see Peter in the corner over there going, Jesus, Jesus, that's not what he wanted. Jesus, he can't walk. (laughs) Jesus, heal him. But you see, what, what Jesus said is, I see this man's needs, and those needs are dire, but they're not his most important. He says, I am God. And the most important thing in your life is to have a relationship with me, with God. And now, Jesus does eventually heal him because Jesus does care about our physical being, about our physical well-being. He cares so much that, that when we enter heaven, we will be healed perfectly, that our bodies will be restored. Or when Jesus comes back to earth, the earth will be restored to perfection and we will be restored. It is at the very core of Jesus, it is the very core of God's love to care about our bodies, about suffering, about poverty. He absolutely cares. But that is not the most important thing here. Let's look at the passage again in verse six. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, 
to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What Jesus is showing us here is that he exults in the monotony and that a relationship with him is the most important. Do you understand that forgiveness of sins is a downright miracle? You see, Jesus, when he's talking to them, he is pointing to life beyond this life. That what we need more than anything in the world is forgiveness and a restored relationship with the Father. And like that man's friends, maybe we're a little confused sometimes. You know, God, this, this miracle of forgiveness is great, but, but God, I need, I need healing. I need to be well. Or, you know, Jesus, I've, been, I've had a rough life and I've been suffering and I've been abused. And can you please change it? You know, we stand before him and say, Jesus, look at me. Do something. And friends, he could do something. He could heal all of us. He could heal all of the pain and the brokenness in the world. But then we're just going to get sick again. Because when sin came into the world, we were broken. And sin is still in the world. And it is going to be here until Jesus comes back. We need a relationship with him that is lasting and permanent. You see, when we seek the presence of Jesus, he is working. He is doing things we can see, and he is doing things that we cannot see. Now, I've told you before, and if you're new, I will tell you, I went through a divorce about 14 years ago. And um, I, had, I was in, it was several months after the divorce, I moved to Dallas, and I was in a Bible study with some amazing girls. And I was at that point in my life that I was learning to move from this kind of checklist, be a good girl behavior, to actually having a relationship with Jesus. And um, the, mm, my ex called. <laughs> They'd throw anybody off, right? Um, and he said he was coming to Dallas. And he wanted to go to dinner. And so I don't know if any of y'all have been in a broken relationship before, but um, when you're not the one that wanted out, and then they call you and say they want to have dinner, that's real confusing. And I didn't know what I wanted to do or what I needed to do. And so I sat with my Bible study girls, and I asked them to pray. And one of them prayed, and she said, Lord, um, Jesus, just show your face to Amy. Just show her yourself. So that was Tuesday. It's Thursday, and um, I haven't given him an answer. It's kind of down to the wire. Didn't really know what I was going to do. Um, he was coming Saturday, all right? So Thursday, my mom calls, and she wants to tell me something about Babu. Sounds weird. Babu is my great-grandmother. That's what we've always called her. And she was 95 years old and precious. And um, for a great-grandmother, I was so close to her. And so my mom called, and she said um, on Thursday, 
Amy, Babu passed away this morning, and you need to come home. The funeral is Saturday. Home is 350 miles away. <laughs> hmm. Hello, Jesus. I see you now. And now, Babu was in decent health, not great. Her death was kind of unexpected. But while I don't believe that Babu died, that Jesus took Babu at that time so that when she died, her funeral would be on a Saturday so that I would know that I wasn't supposed to go to dinner with my ex, Jesus exults in monotony. He exults in our everyday appointments and phone calls and calendars and dinners and funerals. And he can take all of those everyday things and weave it into this perfect tapestry so that we know his majesty. You see, when, when he forgives us and we can enter into relationship with him, we seek his presence. And when we seek him, we see his majesty. Oswald Chambers says it this way, if I obey Jesus in the seemingly random circumstances of life, they become pinholes through which I see the face of God. Mm, the face of God. That's majesty. And when we see his majesty, our motivation changes. Peter's motivation changes, and the people's motivation changed. Let's look at the people. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. The people were amazed, and they were moved to worship. Followers of Jesus. Here's your second way. Followers of Jesus are motivated by his majesty. So why do you think up here they're saying, we have never seen anything like this? Didn't they hear him preach before? And haven't they seen him heal before? That's why they came. So what have they never seen like this before? It can only mean that they were amazed that Jesus forgave the man's sins. And I mean, they know about repentance, right? But why is it that they're so amazed that Jesus would forgive his sins? You see, the miracle here is that these people knew that for forgiveness of sins, you had to offer repentance and a sacrifice under the law. And if we look back in the passage, this man on the mat, he says nothing. He doesn't utter one word. He doesn't bring a sacrifice. Yet Jesus forgives him. How is that? Well, do you remember earlier when it said that he could see what was in the hearts of the Pharisees? You think he can see what's in the heart of this man? There must have been some desire in this man, some imperfect, fumbly desire for healing, a longing for mercy and grace and forgiveness. And so Jesus sees that in him, and Jesus stands over him, and he says, say please, ask nicely, refer to me as sir or God or Lord, and start over, please, and do it properly. It's not what Jesus does, right? That's what I say. 
But Jesus just offers grace. This beautiful grace to this imperfect offering. You see, he just says, come. He doesn't say, do it right or perfect. Just come. And he opens the door for us to find him. And then he saves us with his grace. And there is nothing monotonous or mundane about his grace. One of my favorite pastors and authors, Tim Keller, he describes it like this. If we are saved by grace alone, this salvation is a constant source of amazed delight. Nothing is mundane or matter-of-fact about our lives. It is a miracle we are Christians, and the gospel, which creates bold humility, should give us a far deeper sense of joy. It is an absolute miracle. When Jesus asked the Pharisees, when he says, which is more difficult, to forgive the man of his sins or to tell him to take his mat and walk? We should know the answer. Because for Jesus to forgive sins, he had to die. Before we offered this perfect and pat repentance, before um, we had everything in the right order, when we were still being so offensive to God, Jesus went to the cross and died. And he didn't wait for us to get it right. He died so that we can be forgiven of our sins. It is a miracle, and there is nothing monotonous about it. So let me ask, what is your motivation? Why? Why do you obey God? Do you obey him because of what he did for you? That Jesus gave his life and so I should give him mine? That feels kind of like employment or a loan that I took out from Jesus. But, but Peter... Peter and his disciples, they followed Jesus before he died. So why were Peter and the disciples following Jesus? What was their motivation? Let's look at it another way. Um, if we are saved by works, then there is a limit as to what God can ask of us. It's like, it's like our deductible in insurance, you know, when we complete 2,000 acts of service and 300 um, confessions, then um, we are paid up and everything else is free. Right? It's not that way, right? But because if we are saved by works, truly, then, then there's a limit as to what's expected of us. Because there's a point in which it becomes free. But if we're saved by grace, there is no limit as to what he could ask of us. When it's because of his grace, there's no limit. And to think about that is really scary. And so what could be our motivation to know that Jesus might ask anything of me? Why would, <coughs> excuse me, how do I keep going? You see, we aren't paying back a loan. We don't owe him because he could use any one of us at any time to accomplish anything we follow him because we're indebted to his majesty. Peter followed him because he was in awe of his majesty. Not because it was somehow beneficial for Peter. Peter had to leave his career, everything he knew. He rarely got to see his family. He, he suffered, he was persecuted, and he had a big old hole in his roof. 
This was not a beneficial thing for Peter. So why did he follow him? Peter followed Jesus not because he owed him, but because he worshipped him. He worshipped his majesty. God is strong enough to exult in monotony. And in the monotony, we see his majesty. Followers of Jesus are motivated by his majesty. And so how do we do that? It sounds great. Yes, I want to follow Jesus and worship his majesty. Um, But I'm in these in-betweens of life. And it does feel really monotonous. And, And so what does that look like? I am so glad you asked because I have some thoughts for you. Um, In this lesson, Jody gave us several practices, and they're the five rhythms of disciples. Prayer, worship, church, mission, and scripture. And so these last two weeks, you have been focused on scripture. So when you sit down with the scripture, you pray. You read the scripture, and you ask Jesus to show you his majesty. And then when you see it, you worship. Or maybe that sounds too easy. Maybe you would like a list. So each day when you see glimpses of his majesty, maybe write them down. Or at the end of the day, write down five. Keep a list on your notepad so that when it is a really awful day, you can go look at those lists on your phone. You know, or if you have friends and y'all do highs and lows, or you do that with your family at night, maybe do highs and lows and where I saw Jesus' majesty. And I already gave you an example the sunrise, and that should get you started every day. But there are practical things that you could do. Keep a journal, make a list. My mom goes to see my granddad in the nursing home. And my granddad, he may forget to eat sometimes, but they sing hymns together. And he does not forget the words that tell of God's glory. That is majesty. That is majesty in the monotony. And you see, so when I started this message and defending Peter and the monotony he was experiencing following Jesus, it very well could have been indicative of where my own heart was in my own waiting game. You see, with the new year and, and new plans and logistics and programs and administration and cooking and cleaning and laundry and driving to work and dropping off Kate at school and everything, I let things become just a little checklisty. And so it was hard for me to see the majesty of Jesus. And oh Lord, for those days, forgive me. You are majestic. You are mighty. You are worthy. And you are truly a monotonous majesty. Followers of Jesus find his majesty in the monotony. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you for never stopping. Thank you for bringing the sun up every day. Thank you for making daisies every day. For laughter, for friends, for your word. Open our eyes to see you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.